absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I have this little cousin of mine who was diagnosed, labeled with depression by this therapist that I thought was absolutely awful. And, and, and what happened was because then she started associating that with her self identity. Every time she was sad, it's because she was like, I am depressed. You know, I have depression. So that became a core part of her self identity. And I had the same issue when I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder. I mean, you know, when I came back from the war, I was jumpy because there was loud when, when there's loud noises. I did not like crowds, and these were symptoms that I was struggle with survivor's guilt. These were all symptoms that they that they used to label me with post traumatic stress disorder. But in my research for the book, in my research that I took on to heal myself, I realized that the symptoms of post traumatic stress are not indicative of a disorder because I jump when there's loud. Welcome to Scratch Your Own Itch Podcast, the show about the things we think about, but don't ever talk about. My name is Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. These conversations are about creating a life worth living, with a focus on sharing stories about battles in our heads. Topics range from depression, addiction, self-doubt, past traumas, and everyday compulsive thinking. And my hope is that the show will just shed some light on anyone in the dark that feels like they're alone in their daily struggles. Please take note that this show is not meant to be a replacement for a professional diagnosis or professional therapy. I am not a counselor or a therapist. Hey guys, today I have here with me someone who has faced drug addiction, PTSD from fighting in the war in Iraq, and also even battled with alcoholism. Akshay Nanavati has been scratching his own itch by helping people live limitless lifestyles, combining his life experience with years of research in science and spirituality. He wrote the book called Firvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. I mean, the happiest man in the world himself, the Dalai Lama, wrote a foreword for him, saying, Firvana inspires us to look beyond our own agonizing experiences and find the positive side of our lives. So when I heard Akshay's story, uh, I just had to have him on the story on the show and honestly because this is someone who has fought depression and continues to fight depression every day and turns his fear into health wealth and happiness so many of us are feeling alone and i'm not certain about a lot of things in my life but i am certain that people like akshay can help save one more person from having that suicidal thought so I'm here with Akshay today, and I just have to say, Akshay Navadi, thank you so much for being on Scratch Your Own Itch, dude. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor, and uh, I'm grateful and humbled by that warm introduction. Oh, no, it's, uh, well, you've earned it, my friend, seriously. <laughs> um, so I like to try to start the show off with this question, trying to make it a routine of asking this question, and... Um, so many people have these these itches that just keep coming up that no matter how many times they scratch it, it just keeps coming back. This itch becomes so hard to ignore that they decide to make 
a big change in their life. Mm -hmm. This itch is usually either depression, addiction, drug addiction, suicidal thoughts that keep coming into their life. And I think this is where the real story begins. Mm -hmm. What is your itch that keeps coming up for you? You know, as you as you said in the intro, um, I battled. Initially, it was drug addiction when, when I was in high school. I got out of that world, but I lost two friends to that lifestyle, and I too was very, very heavily immersed in that. Thankfully, I got out. I then joined the Marines. I did six years in the Marines, and then when I came back and I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, I then struggled with alcohol addiction and to the point that I considered taking my own life. And that was when it really needed to change my life. You know, So pain is a great driver and motivator for change and it can be it can be our gift when we realize that you know like I am grateful for that moment that I was on my couch I still remember it I mean I had woken up it was like about 6 a.m light was coming through my shutters and I remember thinking this pattern would never go on it I mean I was still kind of hungover slash still kind of drunk but I remember it because of the fact that I I thought that and I I mean, it shocked me that I would even think that, but I'm grateful for that moment. I never want to forget it because it led me to Fearvana. It led me to everything I'm doing right now. So, you know, pain is a great motor for, motivator for change. We want to use it. We want to use that as a driver. And then once we get to that, once we get out of that zero, that lowest point where we're at, you know, and once we start getting to like, if you look at sort of growth, collective growth on a scale of zero to 10, you know, and you're at that zero where you're considering taking your own life. And again, I've been there. Initial, you know, once you get out of that, though, now where I'm at now, like I'm at, you know, I'm at seven, eight, I'm looking into the future, there's things to work towards, and I'm charged about it. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I'm on fire. My wife sometimes says I can be too intense, but I love it. <laughs> and um, so today, that itch is just about what I the, the, the impact I want to make when I hear emails from people when I'm seeing the Amazon reviews coming from Fiervana, it that fuels me to continue doing that continue making the next next the next thing that I want to work towards so the, the future I'm now working into is is a, is a great driver for me to to step into that motivation for change and that desire to do something more meaningful uh, so it's kind of you you want to use pain as a driver for change but then you want to as you grow you want to use pleasure as a driver for change as well so it's like avoiding pain and gaining pleasure. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, so much to unpack. Uh, let's go back a little bit on what is it, what was the reason why you even joined the army and, and, and why did you want to fight sure. for the U.S.? So when I, you know, when I was on that in that phase of mine where I was, you know, on drugs and um, pretty heavily immersed in it, I still remember actually watching the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but I keep getting told I have to. <laughs> so yeah, it's a very, very, very powerful war movie based on a true story. And uh, I remember that evening, you know, we were actually about to go do a bunch of LSD and various drugs, and one friend wanted to go watch the movie and nobody would go, so I said, okay, I'll go with you. And watching that movie triggered something in me. Watching these courage of these men sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings, I mean, giving everything so that they could protect one of their own was such a beautiful thing to me and inspired me. Like, What kind of courage would it take to do that? And I remember after watching the movie, I read the book Black Hawk Down. And I started reading book after book on military and life and combat. And soon, like almost overnight, I decided to say that, you know, what am I doing? I'm living this selfish, meaningless, worthless existence that I was very disgusted with at the point. And like I said, pain is a great motiv motivator for change that I said, I'm going to do something differently. Almost overnight, stopped doing drugs and decided I want to join the military. And, uh, you know, the thing is, I wasn't even an American citizen. I was an Indian citizen at the time. So it was hard for my parents because this was a post 9-11 world. I would almost inevitably be going to war, which obviously I did later on. And, uh, 
up, and not to mention it was a battle for me to join the Marines because I have a blood disorder called thalassemia, and two doctors told me Marine Corps boot camp would kill me because of that blood disorder. So I had to sort of fight my way into the Marines. It took a little while to get medical waivers and and uh, and and get the medical clearances I need to join the Marines, and uh, so it was a little bit of a challenge just to come in, but. I wanted to serve in an institution where the good of the group matters more than the good of the individual, where it's about the mission. It's about the men. So I'll be very honest. It wasn't so much about this patriotism. It was more about fighting for the men next to you. And I think anybody who, who's been out in these environments would agree that ultimately you're fighting for the men next to you, not for flag, not for country, but you're fighting for that for those people. And I wanted to be in an environment where you get to serve something so much bigger than yourself, You know, separate from all the politics of the war and all that. On the ground, we were there to help these people, and we saw that happening. We saw, you know, us us trying to make an impact for these people who had suffered for years under oppression in Iraq, but also just serving beside the, your your fellow warriors and being a part of that brotherhood was, uh, I mean, one of the greatest honors of my life, and that's what had me get out of drugs and ultimately do something more, a little bit more meaningful with my life. Oh my God, that is noble. <laughs> I, 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 for for a lot of us though, um, do you think that that has to happen? That sort of huge leap, and and they need to put themselves in a sort of sink or swim sort of manner. Like, I mean, we can talk about. No. It doesn't obviously have to be joining the Marines or anything. You know, like when I share what I do, I say that I, when I do it in talks, you know, I'll say, okay, I've climbed mountains in the Himalayas. I've spent a month skiing across the polar ice cap, been cave diving, skydiving, and people think that okay, this you, do you do I have to do that to be to be to grow whatever. You don't. You don't have to do what I do, but you do need to find a worthy struggle. I like to call it a worthy struggle. So the way I define fearvana is it's the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. And everybody has a worthy struggle. You might not know what it is yet. That's okay. I didn't figure my worthy struggle out till not too long ago. You know, Initially, I wanted to go career in the Marines. I was only fairly recently that I figured out now what I'm – now I'm very, very, very clear on my path. But that wasn't – I mean I'm talking like less than a few years ago that I really figured that out and gotten super clear with it. But it's been a journey. So whatever your worthy struggle is, though, you need to find that and embrace it because that's like if you don't seek out a worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway. You know, you're going to go through that depression. You're going to go through that addiction. Stuff will show up. But if you find that worthy struggle, it won't be easy. I mean, writing a book was freaking hard. Joining the Marines was hard. You know, like uh, um, climbing mountains is hard. All these things are hard. But that struggle is beautiful. In that struggle is happiness. In that struggle is your growth. In that struggle is everything you could want. It's enlightenment lies in that struggle. So you want to seek it out. Like adversity. Adversity is not only inevitable if you don't do anything, but the true adversity is really desirable. And seeking out that worthy struggle will lead you to your growth. So that's so absolutely you need to. I mean, it doesn't have to be the intensity. It doesn't you don't have to join the Marines, but find something. I mean, it could be starting a podcast, writing, writing movies, playing chess, uh, running marathons, something, whatever it may be. Raising a child, you know, there's no one right worthy struggle. Whatever it is for you, find it, seek it, embrace it. And when you when you when you when you fall in love with that struggle. That'll be. I mean, that'll that'll keep you out of the darkness. I mean, that's why today I'm, I'm as the energy I have, the, the passion for life I have, is a result of that because I know my worthy struggle. And again, it's not easy, but I love the challenge. Where is um? I think I think kind of like where your worthy struggle is the way I kind of define that itch that just keeps coming up for mm-hmm. for me. Uh, just to to be honest, uh, depression just keeps coming up, uh, mm-hmm. and and. and the thing, though, that I've been learning, which you bring up in your book, is that uh, we don't have to define ourselves by our Absolutely. depression. 
And I want to kind of talk about yeah. that. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I have this little cousin of mine who was diagnosed, labeled with depression by this therapist that I thought was absolutely awful. And, and, and what happened was because then she started associating that with her self-identity. Every time she was sad, it's because she was like, I am depressed. You know, I have depression. So that became a core part of her self-identity. And I had the same issue when I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, you know, when I came back from the war, I was jumpy because there was loud when, when there's loud noises. I did not like crowds, and these were symptoms that I was struggle with survivor's guilt. These were all symptoms that they that they used to label me with post traumatic stress disorder. But in my research for the book, in my research that I took on to heal myself, I realized that the symptoms of post traumatic stress are not indicative of a disorder. Because I jump when there's loud noises, that's a very normal human response to seven months in a war zone where my brain learned to associate loud noises equals death. Inevitably, I became more vigilant. It doesn't mean I have a disorder. It's a normal human response to war. And it's the same thing with all these emotions, you know, like depression, anxiety, stress, uh, fear, anything you experience, there's no bad or good emotions. Emotions are just emotions. It's up to us to decide what we do with them. So when we let go of that, so that's that associating our self-identity with that, we can then let the emotion slowly slide out. So for example, you know, I, I struggle with survivor's guilt. I still go through low moments. I, uh, I struggle with, of course, I feel fear all the time. I feel anxiety. Sometimes I feel nervous when I'm just sitting in my house alone. Now for a little while, I used to say things like, what's wrong with you? Stop being a baby. What are you afraid of? Until I sort of kind of followed, started to realize, you know, follow my own advice and, uh, <laughs> and separate myself from my emotion and say, you know what, I'm feeling what I'm feeling and it's okay to feel these things. Let me just be with it. And it's as simple as that. When you be with it, you don't judge it. You don't, you don't stop to like, you know, make this emotion mean something good or bad and you just be with it fully. It'll transcend. And then you can say, okay, what am I now going to do with this? There's a great quote from Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you've read Man's Search for Meaning. I, um, I, he's my favorite author because I hear yeah. him brought yeah, up he in brought up a lot. podcast shows. <laughs> I haven't honestly read the book and I'm all about it. Definitely, definitely recommend checking it out. It's one of the most powerful books you've Like That's why there's a reason he's brought up a lot. I mean, his, his story transformed my life as well. But he was, so for anybody listening, he was a psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust in, uh, in Auschwitz. So again, I can't even imagine what the suffering this man has went through. And he talks about in this book how he found meaning in his suffering. And he has a great quote that he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So the, the point in this quote is that between stimulus and response, so stimulus is not just an external stimulus because neuroscience has shown we don't actually control what first shows up in our brain. So if I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and I feel fear, that's just my brain showing fear in response to this threat. And whatever emotional patterns that we all have right now, if I feel if X happens and I feel depressed, like that's a pattern that's formed in your brain that initially you don't have control over anymore. And what you have to do is not judge that emotion. Allow yourself to be with it. So I worked with a client, for example, who used to get severe anxiety every time he sat down on the computer to write. He went to multiple therapists and every therapist was trying to help him get rid of the anxiety. He came to me and the first thing I said to him was, our job is not to get rid of the anxiety because you don't control it anymore. That's a pattern in your brain that you don't control initially. And then what you have to do is find that space between stimulus and response. So here's the emotion. That emotion is a stimulus. The response is what do you do with it? And it's as simple as first labeling the emotion. So pausing, noticing what is this emotion, which is why I love that you asked me before we started. You asked me what am I feeling right now, you know? And when you label an emotion, neuroscience has shown it reduces activity in the emotional part of your brain and increases activity in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness. So it allows you to separate yourself from that emotion and then say, now what am I going to do with it? So you can ask yourself, what am I making this emotion mean? And the most important thing is to say, this is not me. 
This is an emotion I'm experiencing, but I am not my brain. I am not my thoughts. I am not my emotions. I am something more than that. And when you stop defining yourself by your brain patterns, by your thoughts, by your emotions, then you can start saying, what am I going to do with it? And that's why it's so valuable to not make depression mean a bad thing. I go through low moments myself, you know, and uh, I struggle with survivor's guilt. I mean, even my guilt, for example, that's another quick example, just so it makes it tangible. I struggle with survivor's guilt and everybody told me how I should let that guilt go and, you know, make, you know, it's not stop feeling guilty and it, nothing would change. The guilt was there. Now my guilt is my greatest ally. I have a picture of my friend up on my wall that I look at every single day when I wake up and it says, this should have been you earn this life. Now my guilt reminds me that it's not on me to waste this existence I've been gifted with. And I have to honor his death. I have to honor the sacrifice so much, so many people have made. And whatever life that I have, I cannot waste it by downing it you know, in pints of vodka for day after day. And it's a responsibility to live this life fully. So guilt is now my fuel. And any emotion can be a fuel, even the quote-unquote negative ones. Hey guys, thank you so much by joining me today. And scratching that depression itch, that OCD itch, that that addiction itch, that ADHD itch, all those hard words to really say with the word itch. Um, Seriously, this is really hard to say those words. And then on a side note, um, thank you guys so much again for supporting the show by just listening. If you guys have a chance, please, please, please. Take some time to check out the reviews and actually leave a review. All you have to do is simply go into your phone and go to your iTunes and click on that podcast that you want to leave a review and just simply leave a review. I know it's going to take you out of your routine because I know how it was for me. It's going to actually disengage me from the thing I'm trying to do and try to get done. Hey, why not? Just try it out. Just just open up that app. And I know that a lot of you probably won't even do this, and that's okay, but I'm going to try because why not? So just leave a review. Let me know what you like, what you hate. Um, mostly, this is for you, honestly. Uh, to leave some little piece of advice that you got from the show is going to allow you to now put put this in practice. So if someone says your favorite quote, or if you say a favorite quote on the review, you then have put the action to now scratch that itch that you have. And that itch that's in your life that you know you want to scratch because it's bothersome, and if you don't deal with it now, it's just going to keep bothering you, and anxiety is going to build, and depression is going to then come into your life, and I don't want that. And that's my whole point is I want to save 50 million people from suicidal thoughts. So I'm going to try to calm myself down by please asking you kindly to just help me because if you help me, the reviews will help this show be more aware. And by being more aware on everyone, I can help people save their life. And that's all I'm trying to do is try to become the best lifesaver. Not lightsaber. Like it might sound like I'm a lightsaber from Star Wars, which is kind of like what I'm doing. But no, really, I'm, I'm trying to save lives. A lightsaber without a lightsaber because those don't exist. But podcasts do exist. So I guess in a way, this is kind of like my lightsaber. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to Scratch Your Own Itch.
Without further ado, here is my interview with Akshay Nanavati. Uh, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up from hearing that. And I've heard, I've, I was doing research on this guy. You guys got to check him out. I mean, he's talked about this before and him just speaking about it just now still, if it doesn't put the hairs on the back of your neck and stand them up, I don't know what will. Uh, and he, and, and you guys got to check out his book. Um, I know this is kind of early in the process, but this is how important this book is to me. I go to his website, and he is giving out this book for free. All you have to do is plug in your billing information, and you get the book for free right now because of the phase that they're in for their launching of the book. I, he, this, this, Akshay is a person of giving. And and I wish that there was more people like you. Um, but the reason why I really have you on the show is to um, obviously uh, get your story, but also like just to go more into how people can make the depression really. I mean, something that they can turn into wealth, health, and happiness, like you talk about in your book. And is there a uh, is there sort of a path that someone can go down? to making their depression and anxiety and uh, drug addiction and OCD actually uh, scalable in a way or, like, actually turn into profit where they can live off of it. I mean, that sounds gross, too, no. for a lot of people to try to face. Yeah. No, not, you know, not at all because, like, that's another thing. Like, I, I struggle with money initially, too, because I always felt, like, guilty that I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to be successful because of my survivors guilt and the war stuff, you know? So, but money is an access to service. I mean, like, right now with the book, we're giving away all the proceeds of charity. Whatever money I make, if I make more money, I can do more with it. I can travel. I can help people in on the ground. I can start a nonprofit. I can do meaningful things. So money can be an access point to service and growth. It doesn't have to be this negative thing, you know? So... But your struggles are like like the reason why you invited me on here. The reason why this Fearvana has grown is partly you know is because of my story, because of my willingness to share my story, because of the suffering that I've been through. I mean, I just shared this thing on Instagram that for a long time I couldn't share this because whatever category I assigned myself in, whether it be a runner, an entrepreneur, or veteran, there was always someone better than me. There's entrepreneurs who are more successful. There's authors who have written, you know, more, who have sold more books. There's runners who run faster than me. There's veterans who have done a lot more than me in the war. So all these categories, there's someone who is quote unquote better than me. But what I've learned through time is that, you know, two things that are of value in this is that one, the only person you really need to be better than is the person you were yesterday. And if you focus on that, other people's success is for you to celebrate and learn from, not as a thing to say, oh, why can't I be that? If you're better than you were yesterday and you're patient about your growth, you will get there. I mean, I didn't get to where I'm at through just magically overnight. You know, it took a lot of hard work and you just got to be patient. Use the learnings, use your own struggles. And the second part of that is that your story is not just yours. It's a gift to other people. I mean, if I, like you said, you know, if I can touch one life with the story, and let's say, I, let's say somebody hears this and stops and you know decides not to commit suicide or overcomes their depression and changes their life. Now, my story is an integral part of their own, and it's, a, and I'm not saying this in like a sort of an egotistical way because there's people whose stories I've heard have transformed my life. Like Jack Canfield is just one example. Victor Frankel. So Victor Frankel's story is not just his. If he didn't write that book, his story is now my story. You know, and so my story can be that for somebody. And whoever's listening, your story can be that for somebody. Your struggle is your, is the thing that makes you unique. I'm not the only person out there who is building an online business. I'm not the only person out there talking about fear. But what makes me me is my story. And what makes you you is your story. Own that story. Own your suffering. And you'll be able to use it in service of others. So just to, when you come out of it, you know, that zero, when you're at that zero, 
initially, like I said, the, the two things you can do, get outside support and recognize that you are not that state. You know, when I was in that suicidal moment, initially it's hard, it's easy to say, okay, that's who I am, but recognizing, okay, this is not who I am. My brain has been stuck in this pattern, but I'm not going to define myself by this. I'm not going to define myself by this disorder label that was assigned to me, by depression label, whatever label has been assigned to me. I'm not going to define myself by that. And when you say, I am not this thing, now you're creating the space to say, okay, then what am I? I truly believe life is not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And when you create that space, you can say, what am I going to create within myself? And then your suffering becomes this gift to channel into something meaningful. Oh my God, this is amazing! Can you give us an Can you give us an example though of that uh, that thing that w- where you were visiting that dark time? You were drinking every night. You were not being the person you want to be. Uh, how did you? What was the first? step that you took to actually take action on changing yourself for me it was when i considered taking my own life like that was a that was a huge like just you know hit and punch in the face kind of thing and find one of those like there's like again this is where you want to you want to be present to your pain not try to run away from it like experience your pain fully because the pain you experience fully will let you will allow you to say i'm going to make a shift so for me it was when i finally hit that moment you know i used to drink i've drunk i've drank since college and you know college student partying whatever you know you're kind of like everybody's been drinking so it's like whatever you don't really see it as a problem i was still getting good grades i mean throughout my life i've been a quote-unquote functioning alcoholic i still had a business going but it still was like a barrier keeping me from this next level of growth in every way like spiritually physically uh financially you know i would be i would still be like running i could run a marathon during my drinking phase but I wasn't very fast and I still wasn't able to cross that next level. I still haven't attained the physique that I now have, you know, because obviously if you're drinking to that level, you're going to have a lot more fat on you and that kind of thing. So it was always this barrier and I just, and it started to become more present that it was a problem. You know, it led to some more fights with my wife as a result of that, uh, obviously, right? When you're doing that kind of drinking. So, but when, for me, the trigger was when I finally thought about taking my own life. Like that was a punch in the face to me. So the, the thing is, you know, wherever you're at, Start like becoming more present to your pain. Feel it, notice it, seek it, seek it, and I and I truly mean that. Like seek out that pain. You know, one other thing you can do, as you mentioned, you still you still struggle with depression issues, and so do I. The the, the power in in realizing all that is actually being proactive about engaging your emotions. So as I said before, there's no bad or good emotions. There's only emotions, and it's up to us to decide what we do with them. So today, I'm very proactive in seeking my emotion, in choosing emotions. So I'll still watch scenes from war movies knowing that they make me cry, knowing that they put me in this very, like, intense state and I'll tear up and I'll cry because I want to be proactive about experiencing the range of human emotions. You know, the highs are only higher when you experience the lows because I know people who are very content in life, successful, but like they won't experience the same highs that I will, but they also won't experience the same lows. And that's the gift in depression. That's the gift in like in these suicidal thoughts. When you experience intense lows, you are leaving yourself room to experience intense highs. And many runners that I follow, many adventurers, they've been like former addicts or former, su- you know, had suicidal thoughts and they've come out of that. And now you see them like the highs they experience, the life that they have within them is a beautiful thing. So throughout your journey, really be proactive about 
engaging every emotion like for you for example you know if there's times you know seek out the moment to be sad that's okay like sadness is a useful emotion i like watching sad movies and and crying sometimes because it's a good thing to feel that it makes me realize okay if i watch something intense like i watch a genocide documentary and i feel sad that sadness is 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 an equate is an you know it's it's equating to love it's equating to compassion saying that now i want to use this to do something so i have moments where i want to be angry so music is a great trigger music and movies are great triggers for me to experience whatever emotion is if i want to be a high i'll experience you know i'll put something on or i'll I'll listen to some music it'll make me an intense state of happiness and joy but sometimes i just want to be sad i want to feel the intensity i'll watch war movie scenes you know other times when i have guilt is a constant emotion for me so whatever emotions you're feeling whatever emotions that come up organically without your conscious awareness stop letting that those subconscious forces dictate your life and be conscious about creating them by proactively engaging them because then you can say i'm not going to let this emotion shape me i'm going to shape it and i'm going to decide what i want to do again life is about creating yourself so by consciously engaging your emotions you can create who you want to be because your emotions and your state will shape your actions which will shape your destiny that's so true um but there's a couple of things i want to talk about um because of my experience with depression, I I got really scared. Not even scared. It's hard to even explain because I got numb. I didn't feel anything. And that was when it was like, because the emotions, I, I my background is acting. And we would do things exactly like this where we would be proactive about our emotions. Like you would never step into a scene with some sort of emo- emotional preparation. Um, and my acting teachers would be like, Logan, you've got to articulate more. You've got to learn how to not mumble right now. <laughs> so, um, so all these fears and anxieties have built up because of that. But also um, the idea of like just watching a war movie like you did yourself uh, and, and watching those things that, it, that, that bring you to tears. But my main question is now, how does someone, when they feel nothing, when they are in that place of just yeah. numbness, where they don't know where to go, like... Do you just recommend listening to someone to to, to, to just uh, I guess I'm I'm trying to ask you do you recommend someone listening to music reaching out what is that one thing that they would actually yeah I understand do? Uh, so I get it like I've been I've been in that state where I didn't feel like I was kind of numb to and uh, I mean even like even with like love for my wife I wouldn't be able to feel that love intense because I was numb to everything and that's why I say it's valuable to experience emotions intensely because through by doing this I've become more present to all my emotions like you know I used to watch not I used to avoid war movies because I knew it put me in such a bad state like in a negative state or like into a sad state but now by engaging all the range of human emotions, I'm able to experience everyone more intensely. So I get that feeling when you're numb. And initially, you know, there's, I, I don't think there's one right path. There's a few things that can work. One, yes, reach out to support. Having support from people you love is invaluable. Being proactive about engaging emotions. Music is an incredibly powerful trigger to do that. So, you know, find songs that might have an emotional impact for you. Like, I, I, for example, will listen to the, the theme for Black Hawk Down or the theme from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Even if that music theme comes on, it puts me into a different state because it triggers in the, it triggers that movie scenes, which triggers all these war things. So for me, war is obviously an intentionally emotional experience. So it will hit me on a deeper level than, let's say, somebody who might not be a veteran or who hasn't been to war. That's, you know, that's just part of – because that's because of my experience. So you can find songs that might have had an emotional trigger and experience for you that led lead to some, some you know, some intense feeling. That's definitely one way – 
Another way that's really, really beautiful is when you actually is exercise. Like I cannot stress this enough because when you punish your body, it strengthens your spirit. Like when I go out there and do a 25, 30 mile run and you experience these intense lows because you're suffering, like the, you know, like you are intensely suffering. I just ran last week was my 33rd birthday. So I ran 33 miles to celebrate and I suffered during that run. I was absolutely, you know, intense suffering because, but again, but when you experience that intense suffering, you will experience the opposite as well. Like the value in doing long runs and and with exercise, you don't have to do again, long runs. It can be anything, go swimming, go to the gym, whatever. But not only, I mean, there's plenty of studies to show that exercise is like invaluable in terms of increasing dopamine, the joy hormone in your brain and, you know, improving endorphins that quote unquote runners high or exercise high, but it also improves the synaptic connections in your brain. It's like, I mean, there's a neuroscientist who calls it quote unquote miracle growth for the brain. So exercise is one of the best thing you can do for your brain, for your mind, for your spirit, everything, because it teaches you how, and also the value also is that an exercise, it brings control of your world. Whenever you're feeling in these low states, you, you know, you feel like this world is out of your control. Like everything is crazy. Things are happening to you. Bad things are, the life is awful. But when you exercise, it brings control to your world. Like when I'm running, my whole world is putting, you know, getting to that next mile or getting to that next half mile. Now that's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the other problems you're, you're feeling for sure you, or you're going through, but it does give you a different and a better way to handle those problems. Like suffering through exercise has been my absolute salvation from coming out of drug addiction, joining the Marines when I push myself to coming out of alcoholism to where I'm at now. I mean, like exercise is a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of my, uh, like staying in a present state. I mean, if I don't exercise for three days in a row, I will feel different. I will see that I'm down and it's, and that's rare. Like, I don't think I've gotten three days in a row in a long time, but if it's for whatever reason it happens, I'm traveling something, it's like, I'll notice it. And I'm like, okay, you got to find a way to do something, even if it's like a 10 minute intense routine in your hotel room. So definitely finding a way to suffer because it will it will lead you to such intense like pain but it'll also lead you like during one long run i experienced the entire spectrum of a human life and that's the beauty in it and like in that one six and a half hour 33 mile run i did i experienced like i would say what what, what could be a human life of emotions like i experienced pure bliss i experienced pure suffering i experienced moments where there is no time you're just fully present i experienced moments where i'm lost in thought thinking about everything about the meaning of life about my goals about not my goals about my wife everything and you get to experience in this one stretch which is why i personally love ultra running is it becomes a microcosm for the human experience so you don't have to be running for you but whatever it is find an exercise routine these are just a few things from again just to summarize getting support you know proactive about engaging your emotions learning to separate this that space between stimulus and response so you can consciously choose your response finding an exercise routine these are a few things that will help you uh find your, you know, engage your suffering. And, and I think more valuable than any others is find that worthy struggle because that worthy struggle will give you, will give you the means to come alive. Yeah. The worthy struggle is gold. I really do think that, uh, yeah, I, I agree so much too with the exercise. I myself, um, well, no, it's kind of another problem. You know, it's that sort of uh, that addiction trait yeah. that we all have. Is I get it. <laughs> we, we find um, – so now, like, exercise has become my new addiction. I just got my new uh, results for – I uh, was able in the last uh, two and a half weeks from just eating one meal a day, um, which has been awesome, kind of cool, like the, the transition of going through the hunger pains. But I was able to drop body fat and actually gain muscle size and That's strength. That's awesome. Congrats, time. man. <laughs> Uh, thank you and thank you and but it comes with you know it comes with a trade-off and I and I like how you talk about too there's just not one certain way for everyone and you got to find kind of that one itch that comes up and and you got to scratch that and and go down that road and and not go like okay just because Logan's doing it or just because Akshay's doing it I'm going to do it 
But the listen, the reason why you're listening to this podcast is probably because you are in a place of just such darkness, such suicidal thoughts, such, uh, uh, and you keep going back to your habits. What is that one thing do you think that actually takes someone out of their negative habit and puts them into the right habit? Maybe a structure of your day, which your first more, you know, ninety yeah. minutes looks um, like. Of I think day. you know, as you start to get out of that like state of zero where you're on the thing and, and you you're slowly coming out of it by doing some of the things I'm talking about, then then, then the goal is to start like exactly what you said to so start creating structures. What you want to do is you want to as much as possible remove thinking from your life, like create systems so you can just follow those systems without thinking. And you want to save that moment where you're engaging thinking and cognitive energy for like the for a few core tasks because willpower is a is a is it's a you know it's a limited resource it dies throughout the day like a muscle if you use it too much it it gets wanes and by the end of the day you're you've exhausted it so and willpower is, is, is exhausted, and even the simple act of making a decision. So if you wake up in the morning and you're like, should I eat this or this for breakfast? That simple little decision is draining your willpower pool slightly. If you just imagine like this tub of or glass of water and imagine it draining throughout the day every time you make a decision, then by the end of the day, it's that much easier to fall through and to, to let like – I mean I notice myself if I haven't slept right, if I'm fatigued, it's so much easier to let the demons rise up. It's so much then easier to sort of um, you know fall through in whatever my goals, my routines, my programs. So the key is remove moving thinking from your program from your from your setup throughout the day and save that willpower for when you need it so for me it's usually in an exercise format or it's sometimes in my work so like if i'm doing an intense workout like this evening i'm going to do a pretty hard workout i know that's going to require some i know it's going to take some suffering i know it's going to push me and i know it's going to take willpower so but i'm saved that pool because the rest of my day is so structured so for example what i do is i have a morning routine and I have it written down. There's an app that I use. You don't have to use the same one, but an app that I use called Todoist. Now, I open up my phone, and it says morning ritual. So it, let's, say, let's say I woke up, and I can't remember what it is. I don't want to have to waste even one ounce of thinking to like to, to think about what that morning ritual is. I just follow this system. So my morning ritual says prayer, meditate, chant, play wake-up music, 25 push-ups, brush teeth, review goals, and detail plan for the day. So I just follow that system. Then I also have a night ritual. So then I open up my list called night ritual, and it says bedtime drink, clearing, log and review the day, journal, plan the next day, meditate. And I have a thing called empower the subconscious where I either watch or I read something to like put into my mind something that, that would – ideally implant into my subconscious and would affect my even my dream states and then finally prayer so i'm following systems and then throughout the day the night before as i said on my night ritual i've planned out what i'm going to do the next day so usually it's a list of top five things and then my day is broken into structured formats of one hour shifts i tend to work in one hour shifts take a 10 minute break another one hour shift and then usually it's a longer break maybe to get some food or something like that and then I don't and I don't have to think about what I'm doing during one hour shift I'm just doing the same like one thing that I know what it is and then I follow that and so you know when I'm engaging my willpower it's either during this work shift or it's in in, in, in an exercise routine for the day but other than that my day is structured so I don't have to waste time or energy thinking about it and uh, and this will and that discipline will is freedom you know it sounds like oh it might be too structured but I promise you discipline is freedom and you'll find freedom in that so as you get out of that zero state and you're finding your worthy struggle engaging it create systems so you don't have to waste energy thinking about it and you can save your energy for the time you need it i love that oh that's awesome i i used to kind of fight systems and structure and i still do a little bit i try to leave some freedom open and um you have to because in a way if you i think have too much structure uh, if you have ADD at all, it'll only fuel your ADD because it'll make you obsessed. Where if anything comes in yeah. in, in, a, in in 
yeah, you know no, what I, I mean? Like if anything comes into that schedule that's not scheduled, all of a sudden you kind of freak out. Like, I mean, it, it happened to me during school when I was at NIU. Like I would get so ADD about having this structure to where just like hanging out with friends became a problem. Like, and so I think uh, the first step is to, like you said, just master, you sound like you master your morning, man, or you master your night. Um, I mean, those are two times of the day that most people can Yeah, control. exactly. You bookend your days. I've heard that. I can't remember where I had that term, but, but yeah, if you wake up, you know, and you like that, my wake up song is this, uh, is this motivational thing from Nike called Nike Rise and Shine. You can YouTube it. It's, it just charges you up in the morning, at least charges me nice. up. And, uh, uh, yeah, Nike Rise and Shine and, uh, super powerful. But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more that you don't want to be, I, I don't agree with the idea. I've heard some people talk about like having every hour in your calendar, like scheduled. I think you need a balance of flow and structure. And where that balance lies is different for everybody. I mean, I used to be after the Marines, I used to have like no structure. I think I became so like anti-structure after living with too much structure in the Marines that I kind of went the other end, the other extreme that I was just like, you know, no structure at all. So what I do now is a result of a lot of trial and error to figure out what works for me. And so I have structure and I have, I create room for flow. So not every hour is mapped out in my calendar. Sometimes I like to, like, I don't have a, I don't have a, you know, this is again through experimentation. I don't have a fixed bed time that I follow every night. I know a lot of people talk about that, like you should have a, you know sleep at the same time every night, wake up same time every morning. But I love working at night. I'm very productive at night. But other days, like weekend when I do my long run, I love working up, waking up early in the morning and starting my run on uh, you know when the sunrise. So I don't have a firm time that I go to night. I keep I create some room for flow, and I think through experimentation you'll discover what the right balance is if, for you uh, between systems and flow. And, uh, and, and I figured that out, but it wasn't something that just magically came to me. It was def. I mean, even this ritual that I wrote down and I shared with you, it was like, okay, I would first come up with ritual. I would do it. And I'd be like, ah, eh, this is not working too well. Let me tweak this. You know, let me add this. Like, for example, my empower the subconscious part, it used to be before meditation. Then I moved it to after meditation. So just through experimentation saying, okay, what's, what's, what, how can I, how can I streamline this? How can I keep making it more effective? And, uh, and that's what led me to this. So I couldn't agree with you more about that is finding that good balance. Because that's what's going to create ultimately authenticity, and people talk about authenticity like so much mm-hmm. nowadays. But that's really like, like it's finding, it's putting down like a guide, it's putting down some sort of thing that has been working for mm-hmm. you in the past, um, and not not sticking to it like it's the Bible. And that's my only gif with anybody that has like these five a.m. morning miracle books or these um these 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 self help books. Sometimes they don't give you a. Uh, I guess a preface of saying, Hey, this is just a guide, like check it out. This is what I yeah. do. And if it doesn't work for you, don't beat yourself up about it because I mean, really the, the whole meaning of, I believe writing down a routine is, is to at least get it on paper. Cause that's part of the action, right? Like that's part of taking the action to actually put it into reality. Yeah. And, and even like in your book, I, I want to point out the idea about, um, you studied a lot of neurology and and how to take yourself into using the today's brain and how to use that effectively even though we still have our archaic brain for example like in today's world we need to deal with these feelings but the feelings in the archaic world weren't sort of like dealt with with uh you know getting mad because they didn't get food that day but instead getting mad because they didn't win enough money uh, or, or earn enough money that day. Like, how do you kind of transition and, and use the archaic brain for good in your business instead of um, using it bad? Does that kind of make sense at all? 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You know, to the point like you make, yeah, that we still have a brain that's designed for um, this archaic world where threats were much greater. You know, and so we, so as a result, we used to we used to get terrified of things like life threatening things, but now we get terrified of, as I mentioned, this client getting anxiety in a computer. You're sitting in it, staring in a computer, right? So things that are not life threatening still get perceived by this ancient brain of ours that perceives it as a threat to our existence, and we feel fear, anxiety, stress. But it's as it's you know the, the biggest thing. That's why the first chapter, the, the first section of the book, the book is split up into three sections. Called section one is awareness and acceptance. Section two is action. Section three is awakening. And that first section is invaluable in setting the foundation about awareness and acceptance. And that's what we, you know, we've been kind of t- touching on is that awareness that we don't control what first shows up in our brain. Awareness that that, that there are no bad or good emotions. And this is combating. A, this is a big reason why I wrote this book is to combat these these this idea that we have in our collective society that you know you'll hear people say, "Don't be scared of anything. Be fearless." And that's garbage because what happens is when people then feel fear, they think there's something wrong with them for feeling fear. Like I had a guy I worked with who said, "I just need to wait for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business." And that's that was his fault, you know, because I mean that that was I mean that wasn't his fault because he lived in a world that said that you should be fearless. So he thinks that by feeling fear, there's something wrong with him. And I told him, that's your problem. Your problem is not that you're feeling afraid. It's that you're waiting for the fear to go away. It, it's natural to feel scared of quitting a job and starting a business. That's a very normal fear to feel. It's okay to feel that fear. It's about what you do with it that matters. So this thing that people say, you know, we always we also live in a world that says, well, we should be stress-free, eliminate stress, and there'll be hundreds and millions of articles about it online. That's also garbage. Stress is valuable. There's a great book and the great TED Talk by Dr. Kelly McGonigal where she talks about the upside of stress, and I use that a lot of research my own, is that stress is valuable too. I mean – why, like it's, it's like working out. How do your muscles get stronger? You stress them out, then you recover. It's the same thing in life. Like The mind, body, and the spirit grow through stress. They adapt through stress. You want that stress, and then you create time for recovery as well. But, I mean, it stressed me out writing my book. It was terrifying. It was stressful. It, was, it, was, it, requ- it took a lot of anxiety, but there's beauty in that. So the biggest thing is actually embracing, getting awareness over it by you know, some of the things I'm sharing with you, accepting it, not trying to fight like these emotions, not trying to fight and resist what shows up accept it then you translate it action and that leads to what i call your next awakening and that awakening to me the way i define this awakening is your this next stage of your evolution where something you've reached and you grow in some way you know spiritually for me that awakening happens consistently. I mean, when I ran 33 miles and I suffered through it and I finished that 33 miles, no matter what came in my way, that leads me to my next awakening, my next growth, the next stage of my personal evolution that allows me to be who I am today with this kind of energy, right? Because, and then I constantly seek that out. I mean, my workout today will probably push me to the limits. And when you rise above that limits, when you can go through a moment where part of you wants to quit what you're doing and the other part wants to fight back and you don't quit and you fight back, that'll tap into you to reach your next awakening. So, but the first step is again, that awareness and that acceptance and realizing that my brain works this way. I don't control much of what shows up in my brain, but what I do control is one part of it, and that's my conscious response to that space between stimulus and response, and that space is your destiny. Oh, my God, so true. Uh, I love how you talk about just the idea of someone trying so hard to write a book and they they pair up this this fear response uh, with writing a book instead of it being this amazing thing that can actually happen, uh, I think you, you talk a little bit about your in your book um, about the whole being able to actually welcome the negative visualization instead of welcoming the positive yeah. visualization, which is which so many other self-help books talk about. It's like, no, think of the great that can come out of this huge leap that you're taking or think of the gr- 
greatness that can come out of this book. What do you do instead? So yeah, you know, we, we hear a lot of this law attraction stuff, like visualize yourself in that dream house, the dream car, all that, all that good stuff. And you know, I think there's a space for that. Like I have a vision board with where, where the things I want to attain, because then you prime your brain to say, this is what I'm working towards. But it's far more valuable to visualize the obstacle standing in your way from getting those things versus just visualizing those things magically happening. Because I promise you, none of that stuff's going to magically happen. <laughs> you want to get something, you're going to have to work hard for it. You're going to have to suffer for it. You're going to have to grind for it. But there's beauty in that. Again, there's beauty in that struggle. But when you visualize yourself overcoming that obstacle, it better prepares you for it. So before I go for a long run, I'll visualize myself hitting a low point because I know that low point's coming. And so instead of trying to run away from it, I visualize myself engaging it. I visualize myself feeling it and rising above it. So when it hits me, I'm now mentally prepared for it. Like a great example is Michael Phelps. You know, He didn't used to visualize himself on the podium. He visualized himself swimming, what he called the quote-unquote perfect stroke. So when his goggles got flooded in the 2008 Olympics, it didn't, it didn't stop him for not even like one millisecond. He kept swimming because in his mind, he was prepared for anything. He kept swimming and he, he broke the world record after his goggles got flooded. You know, goggles got flooded. So whatever obstacles are standing in your way to get that desired result, visualize those obstacles, embrace those obstacles, engage them mentally and, and spiritually so that when you have to physically face them, you're better re- prepared and ready for them. And always remember that no one is Absolutely. perfect. <laughs> like, like, I mean, seriously, when you stumble up and you have this huge thing about um, trying this new, for example, writing a book is not an easy Real. task. As <laughs> like, you're gonna have some some bad uh, reviews. You're gonna have some people that don't like the stuff that you work so hard on. But it's your baby, and you think that uh, the, all this hard work is just gonna amount to perfect success but to realize that it's actually again it's all about facing the fear the more fear that you have i love the name of the book fearvana like the more fear that you have in in your in your life i'm not saying like go purposely go do that that thing that scares you but in a way i'm kind of telling you to go do that thing that scares you the most because that will be the story that you're going to want to tell forever and you're going to want to keep telling yourself and your friends around you, because no one brags about, oh, I went out and got a banana split right? today and I <laughs> ate it with friends. Like, no one brags about that. But I mean, to be able to go down those deep paths um, and and actually visit them as much as possible in a safe manner, not uh, not at all recommending anybody go down that path of of purposelessly trying to hurt yeah, themselves. It's- yeah no it's not like exactly what you're saying it's not just about suffering for the sake of suffering like i mean i still have scars on my arm from when i was in my drug days and i used to like cut my arm and and you know i have a burn scar on my arm and like so it's not just about pain for the sake of pain like there's no virtue in that pain arnold schwarzenegger put it best you know he said i don't like to stick needles in my arm but i do like the pain that is necessary to be a champion so he loved suffering in the gym because that was what being a champion meant for him so find that pain that's virtue to that's of virtue to you but it's not just about suffering for the sake of it you know and uh and like i mean like even like writing a book i wrote a book on fear and people think okay that means i've mastered fear and i don't feel fear not at all like writing the book on fear was a terrifying terrifying experience because of exactly what you're saying i was nervous is this going to be any good people are you know are is this going to be garbage are people going to like it is inevitably going to get that one star review on amazon but that fear propelled like i always say this and i and i think you know fear propels you to prepare because i was afraid i studied from authors like tim ferris from jack canfield about how to write a better book and i must have trashed about a hundred thousand words worth of work 
I mean, that's months and months and months of work that I trash. But as a result, now I have a book that I can truly, from the bottom of my heart, say I'm proud of. And the feedback I've been getting out for it, from it would echo that. Like now, it's it's be- but it's because I felt afraid. If I didn't feel afraid, I wouldn't have cared. I would put out. I can put out garbage because who cares, you know? So fear is not just like fear is not just this enemy of love. It's an expression of love because I loved this thing. This might I mean, fear of honor was my baby, right? Like, and I loved it, and I wanted to put something meaningful out there. So as a result, I was terrified of putting something garbage out there. But if you choose to engage your fear instead of running away from it and embrace it, it can allow you to prepare better. I mean, even when I skied across Greenland, I was terrified of spending a month skiing across an ice cap for 350 miles. So what did I do? I prepared. Fear propelled you to prepare. I used to drag tires around my neighborhood in New Jersey to train for Greenland. But if I wasn't afraid, I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had the, the motivation, the desire to, to prepare for, to engage that fear. So fear is a gift that will propel you to prepare and ultimately that'll tap into your own greatness. <laughs> this is great. Oh god, this is great. Um I got to talk a little bit about uh your studies on Carol Dweck. You you said you you did a little bit of research on her when you were writing your book, right? The the fixed mindset versus the gross mindset. Is there a tangible idea that uh, maybe some sort of uh story that you can equate to that idea of of how to teach us how to have a fixed mindset versus a or actually teach us have a growth mindset because it's what we want versus a yeah. fixed mindset. Do you have any so just like, I mean, just to briefly summarize what they are. So this fixed mindset is one that believes that talent is ingrained. Uh, you know, we live in a culture that really perpetuates that. You will hear things like, oh, Tiger Woods was born for golf or, you know, Federer is a natural or Mozart was a, a child genius and all this kind of stuff, right? So the fixed mindset is one is that talent is ingrained. And what happens when you have the fixed mindset is challenge becomes like a failure, becomes a, a core of your self-identity. Because if my talent is ingrained, then I can then a no, failure means I don't have the talent to do it. The growth mindset is one that approaches challenge as an opportunity to grow. It believes that no matter what you where you are, you can grow through effort. Now obviously genetics plays a role, there's predispositions, but it, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, if you come from this growth mindset, you believe that you can grow, you can shape, you can transform through effort. So one quick study that Dr. Carol, Carol Dweck did, amazing, but kind of summarizes and gives makes it a little more tangible. She did the study with kids where she had these a bunch of these kids take a very, very easy math test. They all did really well. And then she praised half the group for effort. Like, hey, you guys put in a lot of effort. Great job. Or the, and the other half of group was prayed for intelligence. Like, hey, you're really smart. And then what happened was uh, that they, they, they took another harder test. And the group that was praised for in their intelligence and for their quote-unquote talent, they gave up so much faster than the group that was praised for effort. Because what happens is when a challenge and an obstacle comes in the way, and if you have this fixed mindset, now you're saying, oh, it's because I'm not smart. It becomes a core of your self-identity that failure defines you. But failure is not who you are. Like The, the, go- the point of failure is not to give you a sense of your self-identity. It's to teach you something. Whereas if you come from that growth mindset – that failure became, you know what? This is an opportunity to grow. If I exercise more effort, I can push through this. So it's as simple as surrounding yourself by those references that, you know, if, if, if I, if, if some, I truly believe that if somebody can do something, I can do something. And, and that mentality will shape you. I'm not gonna, I'm like, I look, I'm five feet 11. I'm probably not gonna be like an NBA superstar tomorrow, you know? So, but the point is that I don't care about that. Like I want to, I want to be an ultra runner. Now I have flat feet. I have thalassemia. I have, uh, I have mild scoliosis in my back. Now, a fixed mindset would say that means I'm done. Like I can't do all these things. And I used to come from that. I remember like making making this all an excuse for why I won't be able to do it. Today, I approach it from the growth mindset that says these are great opportunities for me to rise above those obstacles and make my accomplishments even better, even more worthy because I've 
overcome these extra obstacles. So it's really as simple as noticing it. First step, again, awareness when you, when you start learning this concept and then noticing where it shows up. Where are you coming from this fixed mindset you know, pr- program and like, uh, or like noticing in, in, your, in, your, in your life throughout the day? And then start celebrating your effort. Start practicing effort. Start engaging that effort. To, and then when you start seeing results, you'll start to believe that, okay, effort leads to things. I mean, you know, everything that I've achieved today did not just happen to me. It, I, I worked hard for it. So you want to actually own your failures and own your like successes, you know, like take 100% responsibility for everything around you. I love Gary Vaynerchuk, who's an entrepreneur I really admire. He says, everything is your fault. And if you come from that mentality, it's a beautiful thing. So like, I, okay, you know, I could blame my alcohol and saying it was this war's fault. It was this, you know, losing a friend, the guilt, but it was nobody's fault, but my own that I did that, you know, nobody's fault, but my own equally is that my successes are my fault. I mean, my response, my, my successes, I worked hard for them and I can be damn proud of them, you know? So the growth mindset is like it, to cultivate it. It's it's actually about looking for references around you. Part of it is like out external references. So look at people who've suffered for the result they want. Use that as a reference to implant in your own belief. Like you know, the problem with social media sometimes is we only see the per- a person's end result. So we think they're magically got there. If you want to see a tiger, if you like, let's say you like a sport, don't just look at that. Uh, look at that person on, on TV like a you know you're uh, like a tiger would play golf or whoever now the superstar in golf is or whatever you know uh, uh, the football whatever the sport is. Don't just look at like how they're awesome on their sport. Go read about how they suffer to get there. That will implant references in your mind that he didn't just magically get there. Even Mozart, who was a quote-unquote child genius, had like thousands and thousands of hours of practice on the piano by the time he was six years old. You can read all about it and take about it in the book, and there's many other books that talk about that as well. So read about people's struggle. Use that as references for your own life, and then actually find those references in your own life as well. When did you exercise effort and it lead to a result? And I guarantee you everybody can probably find something in their life. So we all operate from references. That's how beliefs are cultivated. They're, they're cultivated through external and internal references. So you can reshape those ref- those beliefs by, sh- by creating, by looking for and seeking out and implanting new references. And that'll allow you to realize that effort leads to results and effort leads to not just results, but growth and happiness as well. Like happiness is not this end result. Happiness is the pursuit of a challenge. And so when you look at these references from outside your life and in your own life, you will find those that will start to ingrain this belief that the growth of the growth mindset and then you can do anything if you choose to exercise enough effort towards it yeah the only i'd say not the only i don't like that word only uh but one of the best ways i've learned to grow is to by failing at it trying it seeing if it works if it doesn't work then you do something new and also um connecting with someone though during that phase of transition uh, the reason why I'm making this this show or even scratching my own itch is because I want people to scratch their own itches too, like to actually go and reach out to a, a, a guest that's been on the show like Akshay, an incredible resource, and not to just make them like this this hero that you see on TV or the movies and then that was good for some motivation, but to actually like reach out and say thank you to them. Or reach out and and write like a little bit just about what impacted you from listening to this interview or impacted you from listening to a, a, an audiobook of theirs or reading their book. Any little bit of information or wisdom that you gained just by like rehashing it and putting it on paper is a beautiful habit and a little hack that I think that everyone can do that only takes like five minutes a day. To reach out and build a yeah. community and also build an accountability partner that's going to take you out of those times when you are feeling down and you do want to habitually complain about stuff that's going wrong with this new transition that you're making, but rather actually talk about the good and the 
and and the greatness that's going to come out of it ultimately. Which I want to, I kind of want to go into um, with you, Akshay, this idea of uh, of of using your 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 greatest weakness, like the worst thing in your life that's happening right now, and to actually turning that into dollars. And that's a subject no one really wants to talk about, except in your book. Obviously, you talk about you know Fearvana and turning this into health, wealth, and happiness. But to actually like turn it into a dollar that you can make today is it is that possible for people, or is that just like a total crazy answer? This is just a question that I have on my on my brain. Yeah, no, absolutely possible. I mean, that's how that's how I've built my business. That's how it continues to grow. I mean, again, like when I'm sharing my story about Fearvana, look, often it's about you know like most of these interviews that I've been doing have been about my story, and then we'll touch on takeaways from the book but we always talk about my story because my story is fundamental and vital to my book you know and that's why people buy my products because they've heard my journey you know so uh whatever you're you, whatever you're suffering you know i've heard this before somebody said this and i loved it it said your mess is your message whatever your struggles are like that's now your message and you'll find a tribe that will follow you like that will want to learn from you because wherever you are you know it's not like you have to be like the master the greatest at x in your world like if you're just one step behind like one step ahead of somebody and not to say like in an egotistical better way but like okay i've overcome this depression so i may be one step ahead than somebody who's still suffering with it now i can teach that person you know i don't have to be the greatest like knowledgeable most person the most knowledgeable person in the world but if you're a few steps ahead of somebody in x arena like i work with an ultra running coach because I might be I, I there's plenty of people I may be steps ahead of as a runner but there's plenty of people who are steps ahead of me as a runner so I learn from those people so whatever you're doing you know there's ways to monetize it create digital information products these days the technology is so easy to do you can work as a coach you can work you know the online entrepreneurship world now because of the way the internet is it's I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's simplified. Like to to create, like anything's worthwhile is hard. So it's not necessarily easy, but it is simplified to like create a business online using your story, your struggles. I mean, if you've gone through depression, work with people who are struggling with depression. You know, help them out. And it's not just about your own business and your own money, but it's also like a great way to make an impact. Like my business allows me to touch lives, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it also puts food on the table. You know, so it's a win-win, and uh, it's definitely, definitely doable. But you got a part of it is you got to own your story. Like I mean, I said, you know, like for a long time, I could own my story because I always felt that there's people quote unquote better than me but like I wouldn't be able to share some of the things I'm sharing with you now not too long ago but own your story like be willing to share it because your story is not just yours just really remember that and when you put yourself in that place of service they've actually shown studies that it releases a neurochemical called oxytocin which is the quote unquote love hormone like you feel that when you hug and you cuddle somebody but the but oxytocin has been shown to actually not to, it doesn't eliminate fear but allows people to move forward in the face of fear so oxytocin is like can be released in, when you think about even even like when you do it itself but even when you just think about serving others when you think about your goal it, in a context of how it's it makes a greater impact on other people's lives it releases oxytocin which will help you move through your own struggles so always be thinking about how can i touch other lives with this because it, not only does that you know is, is i think it's a noble thing to do but it's also it will also help you as well <laughs> so it's a it's a win-win again it's a it's a self and you need to be somewhat selfish sometimes don't get me wrong like i think everybody should be more selfish from time to time because you need to be thinking about you if you if you're not if you're not well you can't be helping anybody else so like i mean i put my well-being number one you know like absolutely number one beyond anybody else and this is because if i'm well-being then i can serve others if my well-being is on point so be selfish work on you but do it in service of others and that'll translate your your life your business your everything yeah there's that great quote that uh, I love to live by. You can't help yourself until you help mm. someone else out. Meaning, if you don't put on your oxygen mask first, 
you can't help anybody else on the plane put their oxygen mask on too. And I mean, that really speaks volumes about us trying to do so much with helping someone else out. But yeah, gosh, dang it. My dad, like he's a huge supporter and everything I do, but if he's not going to like strengthen himself and learn how to walk, right. he's not going to be able to pick yeah. me up when I fall down. And, and, and you're the same way. Anybody that's listening to this right now, like, there's times, to, of course, to struggle, to feel down, to be weak, but there's also times to leverage that into strength and just documenting any, any sort of thing that you're learning is, is the one thing that's going to keep you indispensable as a person, indispensable as an employee at your business, or indispensable at, at your, at, as an owner in a business is, it comes down to ownership. Own it, though. You gotta own own the stuff that you create. Um, I love it. Uh, I just want to ask you a, a few more questions, and then we'll wrap this up because I know Akshay is a very busy man with his <laughs> book launch, and he's giving me his no, it's time. And, to be here. and I, I couldn't. I could not uh, ever. I, I'm truly in, in debt, and and I when I I, I could have talked about this in the beginning. I I learned through. Uh, Akshay through uh, Jeremy Ryan Slice podcast, and I am just so lucky to come in touch with you right now. Oh. So I uh, very much my pleasure, it, my, my pleasure. Friend. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. So um, this is just like to end it out on on laughter. So we're just gonna do a quick uh, couple of questions. Like some some uh, podcasters like to call them the fire <laughs> <Yep>. questions. <laughs> No, no, these are not rap fire. If you want to take your time, you can. Otherwise, uh, they're not too deep. Um, but the first one is uh, best celebrity impression. Best uh, celebrity impression. Oh, that's a rough, tough one. I don't know if I have one. Sorry to disappoint on this. Uh, actually, like, I mean, I, I watch a movie, but I don't, I don't have TV anymore. So uh, I don't even know. Like, a name doesn't even come to my mind. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, here's one I can think of. I love the Dark Knight movies, and there's that scene where you know the Dark Knight series where Bane fights Batman, and he's and the Bane mask. I actually have the little training mask that I wear, and he says, uh, "Peace has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you." <laughs> I love that line because it's very hey. it's very it's very true to my whole ethos as well. How you know victory has defeated you, and peace has cost you your strength. So that that there it is. That's that's what I got. <laughs> Hey, I thought Thank it was you. amazing. You hit it out of the park, <laughs> guys. This is this, these are these are people who are authors, not actors. <laughs> yeah, so forgive it. Forgive my awful impersonation. <laughs> but but he just faced fear, straight up. He he just faced fear. Like that was a little glimpse of of facing fear and going for it and owning it. Look at that. Um, the uh, worst beauty trend that you've ever tried. <laughs> I, again, I'm so uh, far from awful at answering. Like I don't really, I wouldn't say I really t- immerse myself in beauty trends. I mean, I if you look at me dressed like around the house, I'm 90% dressed like a bum, uh, unless I have to like present myself. You know, <laughs> otherwise I live in workout clothes, and I'm happy like going out looking like what I look like. So I wouldn't say I really immerse myself in any beauty trend. I don't even know what beauty trends really are, to be honest with you. <laughs> No, this lets us in on your life, man. Like it totally does. Like, no, seriously, I I ask this question usually just to, to only the girls, but I'm asking you just because. Well, why yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. Because, nah. I mean, it, it it gives us insights to what it is behind. Because these interviews sometimes 
um, I think we get only the gold. Like you're talking about Facebook being like yeah, yeah. the gold uh, and, and 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 the exception, and we get our 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 best uh, our best game face on, and we put it on, and that's our that's that's. But that's not yeah. Really there's so much more. Right? I feel you. Like there's just so much you. more. Um, <laughs> priciest thing you've ever splurged Ooh, on? Uh, my gear, like my outdoor gear, is like my greatest expense like generally my wife and i live pretty simple we don't need much uh, but like i'll drop 700 dollars on a running watch overnight you know what i mean like <laughs> i've spent i've spent i think 600 dollars on a sleeping bag 800 dollars on mountaineering boots i can't remember how much i spent on my scuba gear my, my outdoor like other than like sort of living expenses like you know dropping 24 on a car and stuff like that whatever but my my gear for my various pursuits is my most expensive uh, uh things and a lot of the times your life depends on it so i don't really compromise when it comes to like a scuba gear <laughs> or things like that so i i'm willing to drop a good chunk of change and i mean like i have three different closets in my house that's filled with various gear right now i can see my mountaineering gear downstairs is my scuba gear then i have my cross-country skis in my outside closet so <laughs> so my outdoor gear is my most extravagant expenses i love it i love it hey we've got to have no places doubt, where we splurge yeah. on it <laughs> And we can't, and we can't yeah, feel whatever it is for you. Exactly. It, you know? you just... uh, I like to ask this question because I think gifts can also bring people some really incredible happiness <clears throat> when they receive them, but even more so when they give them. So I gotta ask you, what is your favorite gift to give? Oh, this, like, so what I usually do, which uh, I guess I'm giving it away now, so be on the lookout for this, uh, <laughs> is when, I, when I've been interviewed on podcasts, I often give somebody just like a simple $10 Amazon gift card just to say thank you because I know how hard you work to run a podcast. I know how hard it is work to work, build a tribe. So to really to, to, be, to be grateful for the, from them having me on their show and um, – and to you know to to acknowledge that and to appreciate that and thank him for you know for for having me and so I do something like that. But otherwise, like yeah, I'm I'm kind of awful at buying gifts, even like for my wife. Like she'll I'm just we got to a point where I'm finally like you know what, just tell me what you want after six years, seven years of marriage because initially I'd buy her stuff and she'd be like oh I love it and it would be like in the back of the closet somewhere or like buried in her jewel drawer and uh, <laughs> so finally it's like you know what, just tell me what you want and I'll and I'll get it. But like I think my favorite gifts is usually getting people experiences. Like if I can. If if I can somehow tap into an experiential gift, you know, plenty of research has shown it, but I think experiences lead to more um, joy than like gift, like a tangible gift, like a thing, you know? Um, so like buying her, for example, one year about her horse riding, she always wanted to learn horse riding lessons. So like, you know, getting something like that, like an experiential gift, like one thing I'll, we took, we went scuba diving on our honeymoon, you know, getting that, like I want to take her skydiving as well. So an experiential gift is probably my favorite to get for anybody. I love that. That's so cool. That's such a good way. First of all, I got to say thank you so much for the awesome <laughs> gift. Um, uh, it'll, it'll still be surprised. I, I promise. Yeah, so, be surprised. <laughs> I, yeah, be surprised. Um, no, I will. I promise. But the one thing that I got to talk about is just the experience thing, man. Like when you give people experience versus just this material <laughs> thing, they probably won't use it. Um, but when you give someone experience, this is why I recommend anybody that's like, I'm not sure if I want to go on this like trip, like go on that trip. Like you'll never, ever be able to 
ever have like those those memories that you make will never equate to yeah those stories will shape life. your life man like when you talk about it those are the stories like yeah. you said you know, earlier you know you don't talk about that moment you did something like sitting on a couch or whatever you, you talk about those moments that like have pushed you that have challenged you that have like really you know experiences those, those are the stories that you'll tell with your friends your family those stories define you i mean these are the stories i keep telling when when we meet new people and and i hear their adventures and we share adventures you know that's it's a that's the most beautiful thing <laughs> It it is it is. Um, I, I we could go on for days for that, but we'll have you on again maybe Akshay when I get better at this whole interview thing. Uh, <laughs> one day we'll have you back on and um, we'll we'll Sounds share good, more man. adventures. Um, what's your favorite spirit animal? I do. do you have I, a, I, like I a, consider my spirit animal to be spirit. a wolf. Yeah, eventually I'll probably be getting yes. a tattoo of a, a tattoo of a wolf on my arm this in the near, near future. <laughs> Hey, my friend, you know that's I have two already, yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, well, hey, it, it goes for your personality. You are you are certainly someone that is noble, that is honest, that is good with their with their tribe, and and they and they fight for their tribe. They don't just like let them, you know, kind of like let off. I mean, I do the research I did, I just want to say, like, there's so many things that I wish we got into, but that's okay. okay we'll get yeah. into it another time. And, uh, if you guys want more of, of this amazing man's story, please, please connect with them. Where can everyone find Akshay Navan? I'm going to get this one day because your last name is important to me. Where can everyone find Akshay uh, Great. That's perfect. Now you said my name perfectly. Uh, you can find me at fearvana.com. So that's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A. Uh, you can, you know, the book's available there too. And you, um, I'm definitely one of those authors that, or I intend to be one of those authors that will be, you know, accessible to my to the audience i respond to all my own emails feel free to reach out to me you can find my contact info there as well and any questions anything you're struggling with i'm genuinely here to serve and it'd be an honor to do so so feel free to reach out to me dude this was amazing guys please connect with him he is doing this because he doesn't want to just become the next billionaire in the world he's doing this because well he wants you to be the best you can be and also make you feel less alone because when we feel less alone, that's really when it all counts. So thank you again so much for being on Scratch Your Own Thank itch. you for – I will talk to you soon hopefully. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely, and I love those awkward <laughs> endings with every single podcast. <laughs> No one can get them down just right. <laughs> I have to acknowledge that. Embrace it. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Alright guys, there's another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch. Akshay had some real gold to deliver on today's episode. Not just awesome advice, but awesome stories, awesome scientific experiments. And guys, I just want to let you know, like, I am so happy and so touched for everybody that comes in 
day in and day out and actually supports the show by listening to it. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Um, I want to teach you guys something real quick, though, um, because I know it will help you guys to start taking action and start getting yourself out of that depressed state. If you could, please just take the time in the reviews and just simply go on your phone. You can go on iTunes or your Android, and when you log in, it gives you an option to look at all the reviews, and you can also leave a review yourself. Please just simply do this one thing. When you listen to an interview, write out one thing that you took from it. Just one thing. Because when you do that, I promise you it will change your life. Why do you want to do this? Because it helped me. I can't say that it solved all my problems, but it helped me a lot to just leave reviews and leave a sort of either A, a little bit of constructive criticism, or B, something that you really gained from the show that helped you in your journey and your struggle and your bouts with depression, OCD, ADHD, anxiety, or any of that stuff. Please let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. I like it all. Honestly, it would be nice to see a five-star review, but if it's not, I take it full-heartedly, I respond to it, and I will be responsible for it. Thank you, guys. I'm just only trying to get better at this. My goal is to save 50 million people from suicide and suicidal thoughts, and I'm going to make it. So if I'm helping you, please let me know. And always remember, you're enough and you matter.